Welcome, welcome to Fair Talks, the Fairphone podcast, where we unravel all the ins and outs of making the electronics industry a little bit more sustainable and fair. My name is Miguel Ballester, and on the side of leading the product management team, I help our star content manager, Jan, to tell inspiring stories through this series of podcasts with very, very special guests that are as well in the business of changing this industry. Today, we will be talking about circular products and how to communicate that circularity thanks to tools that will be presented to us today. But let's go into uh, introducing you guys. Um, who wants to start? I can kick it off. So my name is uh, Edwin Rutten, working at uh, KPN as a consultant on the fabulous topic of uh, circular economy and uh, working towards uh, close to 100% circularity at our company. Okay, um, well, my name is uh, Rolf Gelke. I work for uh, Circular IQ and uh, we're an uh, Amsterdam-based uh, software startup focusing on, um, well, software tools to help make sustainability and circularity uh, more approachable. So collecting data, uh, providing results and uh, visualizing them. Yeah, my name is Tia Kleinmacht and I'm the Circular Material Change Innovator at Fairphone. And in my role, I work on everything which has to do with all the loops that have to do with circular economy and environmental impact. Great. Um, my name is Mart Beune. I uh, work at KPMG in the circular economy team, um, leading our work in the telecom sector, amongst others, and uh, yeah, helping our uh, clients in their circular economy journey. And I think product circularity, where we talk about today, is a perfect example of, uh, of such a challenge. Okay, thank you. And how did you guys come together? What was the trigger? I think a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, as Circular IQ, um, uh, as a software uh, startup, we felt that it's really important to make sustainability more uh, understandable, more approachable, um, because often, um, well, we saw that a lot of big companies um, have this big sustainability claims, circularity claims, which are either, well, substantiated very thinly so you know in the realm of, of greenwashing and yeah b making big claims and and that's it or all the way at the other end where they're they're backed but backed by hugely complex lca studies um and you know i've graduated on the topic and also for me you know what does it mean when there's this much freshwater eutrophication or you know kilograms of phosphorus equivalent it's just not not easy to understand and take action on that and simultaneously, we saw that more and more organizations were also trying to, um, well, utilize their purchasing power. Uh, in other words, the euros that they could spend on um, energy, but on the other hand, also raw materials, products, assets, etc., uh, was becoming much more apparent. Um, so, yeah, we started working on these, um, well, product passports, as we say, to, well, make it tangible and clear and understandable what the circularity level of uh, a product is. And uh, along the way, we also well found that not only the circularity, but also the eco-impact part uh, of the, pro uh, the product is actually a very important uh, topic to also well consider in these discussions and in decision-making. Um, and I think that's also where we uh, well partnered up with KPMG and their, uh, their expertise there. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> because maybe, can you, can you maybe, Mart, run our listeners a little bit through what is such a report? What is a product circularity report and what does it entail? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's a report that tries to combine uh, insights from two different perspectives. Uh, so one is a circular economy, what uh, Rolf also just addressed. And the other one is the world of environmental impact. Um, and I think this is a unique combination on a 
well, accessible or understandable level give that insight on a product. Uh, so how circular is a product? How, uh, what is the environmental impact of a product? Um, and if you know the current situation of a product, uh, you can also pinpoint where the improvements might be. And that's what we try to combine in this six page report, all those insights, including a management summary for a discussion with your, uh, also with your suppliers. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of report then that KPN would use in, in what way? This format, it uh, mainly facilitates um, the discussion with uh, suppliers mm -hmm. uh, to have a dialogue on, say, current product performance on both circularity, but also, for example, on, uh, on carbon, uh, but also on uh, getting insights on where is the impact actually in the value chain. Is that with us uh, as a user of, for example, equipment or uh, is it more upstream in the value chain at the production side? Mm -hmm. and, and if we try to make it a little bit tangible, maybe Thea, for you, the question um, for our listeners, what do I see? So I open these six pages report, what kind of things do I see? Yeah, you at first see an overview on the highlights and let's say the lowlights of a specific product. So what were the findings as a summary so that it is really easy for the reader to grasp what the outcome was? And afterwards, it is dived more into the details of, for example, what materials are contained in, uh, in the product, but then also how circular is the product um, in the different loops. So it's also about repairability, but then also um, reusability and recyclability. And um, so that you really get a better impression of the product, what, what it means from these different angles. Yeah, so Fairphone has been the, the first company that filled it in for a smartphone. So mm -hmm. we feel that, yeah, a lot can, could be learned there. Yeah, so this was the first time that it was done by, for a smartphone, I understand then. Yeah, exactly. And, and can you maybe uh, tell us a little bit of the, about the complexities there? Yeah, I think so. Maybe looking at or comparing it to previous uh, projects that we did, then, um, well, as an example, we did a remote control or an antenna or a, a Wi-Fi box, etc. And I would say in general, in terms of product complexity, these products, of course, they have a lot of components and a lot of materials, but a smartphone really is yeah, just next level in terms of complexity and hierarchy. Um, and yeah, maybe to elaborate a little bit on how we look at a, at a product, so we use what we call a bill of materials, but it's not only the materials, we also look at how all of these different materials are combined together within components, within bigger components, within assemblies, within a product. And as you can imagine, as well, as the product gets more complex, so does the assessment. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, you still want it to be actionable and understandable and yeah. like... Um, exactly, but else, yeah, what, what would be the point of doing it if you can't do anything with it? I think that's also probably, but Edwin, you can probably elaborate on that. When we started this uh, this idea, KPM was also the first uh, company actually to uh, launch this. So this was the launching customer. Mm. And I think making it actionable and, and collaborate with your suppliers in this case, Edwin, uh, I think that was one of the, the key sort of missions of, uh, of doing this. So yeah. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I think it's good also to mention that it was truly co-production, eh? like in parallel to exploring the, the default tooling of Circular IQ. We had a student on board from the Technical University and also having internal discussions like, hey, how can we translate the maybe complex uh, concept of circularity also, for example, to uh, top management or 
stakeholders outside of, uh, of KPN. Mm-hmm. And then and at that point we introduced uh, the, also the visual with a nice breakdown of the product, but also having some highlights and lowlights to make it tangible and actionable. Yeah, yeah, because in the end for you it was more like a communication tool, like, like uh, some basis to for these discussions with uh, with management and, and suppliers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I guess Thea for for Fairphone um, from that ability and willingness of sharing information. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we were also really interested in this collaborative part in the development of this tool, the Product Circularity Report because um, we are a small company and we already put a lot of effort into knowing a lot about our product. But then still, when someone asks you for input in a specific way, then sometimes it's difficult to provide the data because it's in a different format or we use different units and then sometimes it can get complicated. So it was for us really important also to make it to make this tool yet usable for also other players or really the ones that needs, need to fill it in. And um, yeah, that it's in the end becoming actionable and not a burden for the ones that have to fill it in. Hmm. And maybe I know to all the listeners, of course, like I'm curious uh, for some, because we have very different type of listeners, right? Like we have people from the industry, but we also have just, you know, just people that uh, uh, buy a Fairphone or is interested in Fairphone. Yeah. Is this a report, let's say, that uh, any person can read? Yeah, I think anybody can read it. I think it's mostly a matter of, um, let's say, interest. Of course, it can be some, some things are technical, you know, but everything's explained um, in a what we hope to be um, well accessible and straightforward way. But in, in, in a way, like if you want to know how repairable a device is or how recyclable, etc., in principle, you can find all the information in there. Um, if we step one step back, uh, Rolf, you started talking about uh, what you saw in the industry and as a motivation for creating this tool with Circular IQ and then later with KPMG. Um, can you paint that picture a little bit, a bit, a bit more in detail? Like, what what is the current status of circular economy? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, this is a broad question, right? So, so if you look at the smartphone industry, of course, well, this maybe this is a exemplary uh, case where, um, well, Fairphone is, um, yeah, is let's say one of the most or the most uh, sustainable, um, well, smartphones. Um, but even you know, reading from the report, this is not a 100% circular, 100% sustainable phone. So we're not there yet, um, but I do see a huge, um, well, a huge push, especially in the last few years of more attention and also higher performance there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we need the whole value chain for that. I also think maybe elaborating a bit on what you're saying, Rolf, is that if you look at circular economy as a topic, like worldwide, of course, uh, we are still in development. Uh, it's a, a mature area. I think uh, maybe some listeners as well know about the, the circularity gap reports that are being produced by uh, Circle Economy. Uh, While well, still uh, around, uh, I think, what was it, 8.6% uh, circular. Um, and if you would then zoom in more towards the sector that we talk about today, uh, of course, big challenge on e-waste. Uh, the, the power of e-waste is uh, becoming bigger and bigger every day. Um, and within that electronic sector, uh, to, to my belief at least, working with quite some uh, people of uh, companies in the sector, the telecom sector is taking definitely an, uh, a front runner role. Mm-hmm. 
so a lot of sector initiatives uh, in, the, in the telecom sector. And uh, I think also KPN is taking a, a circular front runner role within the telecom sector then again. Um, and I think a setup like Fairphone can also inspire other uh, suppliers mm. in this sector, um, how it could also be addressed. Mm. So I think uh, that's, uh, that's definitely a good development. And with this, these providing these insights on the product level, we try to inspire, uh, try to set an example, but also show some tangible uh, measures where we can still improve. Mm. So I think that's starting from a global perspective, more trying to zoom in where we are here for today. Yeah. And if we go to the like the everyday of this, no, of using this report with uh, with suppliers, do you do you also encounter that that they are more receptive in the last years than they were before? I think in general, uh, our suppliers are very receptive to uh, cooperate. Uh, what I do notice that indeed, say the level of maturity of having data readily available is is quite uh, quite different per party. Um, but I think by doing the exercise, it also raises the awareness of uh, knowing what is in your product even. And, and the electronics industry is complex with long value chains. And I think it starts with awareness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we also get the feedback that the, uh, only the awareness already uh, sparks something. Yeah. And even uh, sometimes uh, after we had a discussion and some uh, suggestions have been made that Six months later, you hear, oh, you recall that uh, improvement point? We did it. <laughs> hey, you don't buy our product, but still, uh, we introduced the, the suggestion and uh, we're now moving to a recycled plastic application, for example. Yeah. I think it's a good moment to start to get a little bit into the report itself, if you want. Can you run us through some of the dilemmas that you guys went through uh, while compiling this, uh, this report? Yeah, I would say that um, like there are on different levels we encountered the dilemmas. So, for example, yeah, what Rolf was already mentioning. So sometimes the level of detail doesn't really like what we have as information didn't really match what we could fill in, for example, or it did become too much information. So you need to get to a point where you are not leaving away something which is really important. So this would be more like, let's say, a structural dilemma, what we had, or a data granularity dilemma. And then also content-wise, um, we see that in also in the broader discussion of circular economy, that it's often very, very focused on keeping materials in the loop. But what we also know is that uh, in the f for now, for the future to come, we will always need still resources which are mined. And um, just because the supply or the demand is so high that we cannot supply it only by recycled materials, and also the stock of materials in society is just not big enough to actually cover the demand. And we often see that um, it's not really rewarded if you engage also into the direction of, for example, fair mining. And also there you can, you can have in, or you have opportunities for environmental impact. So the same like with circular economy, that you also can save CO2 emissions, for example, if you, if you focus on this, but this is usually not really acknowledged in these formats. And so there, there are these decisions that you make. Do you go for the circular, so the recycled material in a phone, or do you go into um, 
yeah, really engaging on the ground with people that mine and, for example, decrease emissions there or look into preventing uh, children, child labor there. So, and this is, a, this is a dilemma what we discussed, what even made it in the report, which is now having a dotted line basically and both an improvement and a dilemma and, and a low light sort of or an improvement point because yeah, you can really depend on what you, what, where your focus is if you think this is really good what we did or if you tell us that we should improve on that. Mm. Yeah, and isn't that dilemma also uh, within the, the fact that, that we are, it's not that we are going to jump into a circular economy all of a sudden, but that we are in a transition, right? And in, the, in this transition, different things need to be uh, considered as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think it's next to that, it's also, you know, you have to make choices sometimes and the ideal choice might not exist. Um, and, you know, from where we, we did the reports before, to, to take this TX example, um, yeah, we didn't really look into the fair part because well, to be honest, most of the peop the, the companies we, we did this project for, they don't have this data or they don't really care about it. But, um, well, especially in a report like this and in a project like this, we yeah, we feel it's very important to, well, clarify why certain decisions are made, even though they might be on paper not the ideal uh, decisions, but it's, you know, it's not a black and white exercise. So we really feel it's important to, well, to also showcase these decisions and these considerations of uh, suppliers as well. But maybe a more high-level question, like you are all experts in circular economy. What does this say also about the very concept of circular economy? A, it, it's it, a lens, but it's not uh, not a holistic lens, I would say. Uh, we face the dilemma also within the company, like uh, do you focus such a report on the, on the circularity? But here we, for example, included carbon, but we did not include, say, social and ethical aspects, since we cover that on a, more on the factory or on a supplier level. So, yeah, you have a lens um, which you use, mm -hmm. and in the end you mustn't forget also to sometimes say, yeah, step back a little bit mm -hmm. and see if you're still doing the right thing in the right direction. I think this dilemma raises a very interesting case where I think the good thing is that it is at least on the table that mm -hmm. you are aware of the dilemma and that you make a conscious choice of going left or right mm -hmm. and going for recycled or going for fair virgin materials, for example. And there was now space in the report to like do put these nuances as well. I understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And we should be open to that as well, right? And so we do have a target or a ambition on circularity, but we also have an objective on uh, carbon neutrality. Mm -hmm. And we also have, of course, uh, an objective on doing sustainable and fair, fair business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think there were quite some discussions also on whether we should include these and a lot of other things, uh, of course. Um, and like one of the goals is, is not only showcasing a single product, but also trying to find comparability between products. So then it's also, also another dilemma, I guess, of how specific do you want to go and how comparable do you want to stay? So yeah, it's, it's sort of an art there uh, sometimes. And, and, and I think therefore we also, we try to stick to the format that we have developed. So like 80%, uh, but uh, Circle like you and, and ourselves are also not like blind that uh, the format might not be perfect. Eh? Uh, when we developed it a couple of years ago, 
KPM was also the one to say, okay, it would be nice to add this to it and add that to it and change it a little bit here and there. So we are, yeah, we continue to evolve this format as well. Uh, so that's why we always leave room for uh, some some additional highlights, mm -hmm. some clarification. Uh, yeah, simply because the world isn't that straightforward on this topic. Mm. No. no, and and I guess also for you it's about decisions, right? Like, do you want exactly. to focus on a certain very specific scope of like technically what we mean by circular economy, or you want to do something mm. something more, yeah. which may also have influences in how understandable it is, even exactly. potentially. Sure. So. No. No. Yeah. Nice, nice. It, it, it sounds like it was a, a nice, uh, a nice process. Some <laughs> other lessons learned through this process. Otherwise, we'll go into findings. But uh. yeah, I would say uh, one thing. What we also learned is a bit about depending on the product, the focus is pretty different because um, yeah, the lifetime of a product is not for every product necessarily the main focus point. But for a smartphone it is, so the longer a phone is used, the less environmental impact it has in the end. But that's for example, I think Edwin, you once mentioned a server, that there the usage time and the energy use is super important, which is, yeah, for a smartphone, not necessarily the case, but so that you really have to also take this into account in this passport, that the lifetime mm. is so important. And this is also something what came up in this discussion what was very interesting, I think, so that, that it's not one size fits all, but depending on the product group, there it's it's pretty important to yeah, look at it from different angles. Mm. I think that's also a broader dilemma in the industry, uh, where there is each generation of uh, IT equipment or devices is more energy efficient, typically, but on the other hand, we also keep on adding functions. And um, yeah, at the end, there is some, some time that you would be better off replacing a product mm -hmm. uh, due to the electricity consumption than uh, extending the lifetime. And what we see from the different passports, I think by now we have done, I think 15 passports approximately, you see that the profile can be quite different per type of equipment or per type of device. And that's also very insightful for us, like, and that can also give us focus points on uh, you know, where to put some additional stress, but also my personal conviction that say uh, longevity in itself, yeah, it's not per se an objective. It can be a means to an end, but there can always be a trade-off on a, on a product level. So to some extent, you would need some product level insights to, to do the right thing. Okay, nice. And in the end, this report in particular was done uh, about Fairphone 3, if I remember correctly. And what are some of the findings, uh, if we specifically talk about uh, Fairphone 3, that you found? Yeah, maybe a specific uh, finding then also to build a bridge between the previous uh, subject on the, uh, the, the lifespan, uh, which I thought was a really interesting uh, finding, actually. Um, and of course, um, yeah, just uh, on a general view, extending the, the phone's life is always better, right? So the product lasts longer, so you need less products and then you save associated impact in production process. So that's, well, that feels very, very, uh, very simple and it is. Um, but at the same time, you need extra, um, sometimes extra components in the case of a modular uh, Fairphone uh, and you can replace the batter battery, for example, um, maybe to extend the lifespan from three to five years or from five to seven years. Um, and one of the, uh, the findings also uh, illustrated in the report is that actually this extra impact of the uh, added battery in this case, um, the associated impact with that decreases 
much quicker than I would, from a gut feeling, would have guessed uh, on beforehand. And if you, uh, well, if you are able to extend the life of your Fairphone 3 with at least, I think, five or six months, then you've already earned back this environmental cost, basically, of the, um, well, the extra battery. Mm -hmm. So maybe then also, we, because before we spoke about consumers and what they could take away from the, uh, from the report, well, yeah, this is just if you want to become more sustainable and you, you're thinking about extending the life of your Fairphone with an extra battery, well, yeah, please do it, and, but make sure that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't end, end its life within the next couple of months or so, and after that, you're, yeah, you're on the right track. Maybe one aspect that we also found, and uh, I think that's an interesting one for consumers as well, um, that I think over 70% of uh, the phone can very easily be recycled. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, then uh, people need to be aware of the fact that it can happen. So I think uh, that was already also further addressed in the Fairphone 4, if I'm not mistaken, even going uh, above and beyond, maybe 75%. Uh, and I think if, if consumers are aware that if they truly hand in their devices after they don't use it anymore, uh, that actually, in, in theory, there can be a lot of material still recycled. I think that's also a finding that is uh, is very important for people to be aware of. Uh, so the design of the phone and the materials that are used and the way it is uh, sort of uh, put together also allows for proper uh, reuse and recycling. Yeah. But there I also quickly want to jump in because there is this difference between recyclability mm -hmm. and actual recycling. Because the 73% that uh, can be recycled right now in theory, what you already said, in theory, means that the materials can could be recycled but practically actually no. it's unfortunately way less so it's only about 30 to maximum 50 percent of a phone which can actually be recovered so all and the other materials are lost and why is that yeah because um yeah in the current recycling system that we have it is always um yeah there are some materials that are that that are basically the goal of recycling so we don't recycle all the materials that are in a phone and a phone has more than 50 different materials in there mm. so just these mm. fractions that the processes uh, are focusing on are actually recovered and all the others are lost afterwards so this is why also the reuse part is so important because then we really reuse all the materials in there and if you would put these phones or modules just directly into recycling we would directly lose a large part of the materials in the phone. Yeah. So just like for the for the listeners, so in theory you can recycle up to 73-75% of the materials of the phone. In practice this is much lower, but but I, I still didn't get I still didn't understand like this difference. So is it you say because we are targeting certain materials, or who who is we when, when you say that? The recycling system. Okay. So. The recycling industry, let's <laughs> exactly. say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's maybe, it's also about, um, well, it's in, in this case, it's sometimes a cold, let's say, business decision on how much money can you gain from recycling these materials. Let's say, uh, well, for example, gold as an example of a precious uh, material um, on the one hand, but it's also about how much effort does it take to, well, to retrieve that. So this is about exactly the processes that they uh, they are meant, and it's also about these really, well, sometimes stupid and super practical things like can you separate a material? Is it glued or is it screwed? Um, and yeah, the hours it takes and the labor it takes actually has a pretty big impact on 
well, the let's say the business case of doing this recycling and no. yeah. so the recycling industry is a business in itself. They take their own decisions, and that sometimes also uh, ends up in in. I think there you know, we should also exactly. open up uh, yeah. within the industry. So maybe that's not so much for the consumer, but more for the industry and uh, say uh, all the actors uh, that play a role. Until we have a certain product that we are aware of our position in this value chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, material uh, producers, so to say, or uh, phone producers, or any other type of product, but also us as a service provider and know what ro- role we can play in keeping the materials in the loop. Since uh, we also sometimes make an excursion to uh, to a recycling company, and then your eyes open up truly, like uh, what they can do with certain materials or what they cannot do or where it's not economically feasible maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what levers do we have in the industry to start making the change? And then we need to collaborate across this very long value chain. Yeah, so it's also about connecting the dots at the start and the end of a, a supply chain. Uh, when you talk to some recyclers, they also mentioned that it's very good every development that is happening, but a lot of product designers are or not aware what we can do, or we are not aware what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's of course a uh, sort of a, a two-way collaboration that needs to uh, uh, be initiated more and more, I think, because uh, otherwise there's a clear disconnect between product design and recycling at the end of use or end of life. Uh, and let alone if uh, consumers are even aware that you can hand it in. That's then even a, d- a different uh, dilemma or a topic to discuss. So, yeah, I think uh, enough uh, room for improvement and, uh, and collaboration. Again. Yeah, I see after this call a lot of recyclers getting a lot of design student uh, classrooms uh, to see their uh, their uh, Hopefully. places. Which <laughs> but it's really interesting to see if you yeah. put them together in a room. Uh, we did several workshops and several actors from the same uh, chain, like what happens or uh, to share the perspectives. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. raise the invitation. Okay. So how do we go from these learnings to implementing into into a product? Yeah. How did we do? Because we launched now Fairphone 4. Yeah. Have you seen some improvements there? Did they did they do what you tell them to, tell them to do <laughs> this product team? Yeah, so actually, um, yeah, the recyclability of the phone has improved a little. So actually, two percent points. Uh, so we are now at seventy five percent. And um, yeah, we also really made a statement on longevity. I mean, we were aware before that longevity is super important because this is, of course, what Fairphone stands for. But now also Fairphone 4 that we just launched uh, comes now with a five-year manufacturer's warranty. So really to make this clear that this is our mission to keep our phones alive and support our users as long as possible with keeping their phone because this is really what reduces the environmental impact because we don't make the choice if the phone is used or not for a long time, but the user is the one who needs to be happily using the phone for a long time. Um, Yeah, also the recycled plastic content has increased compared to before. So we are now at 60% of recycled plastics and even the back cover of the phone is uh, 100% post-consumer recycled which is really good because also in the in the report that was one of our in the recommendations that we could in, that we could um, use more recycled plastics 
but there we also argued that it is really difficult for some structural parts. It's just not possible to use 100%. But for the back cover, we managed for Fairphone 4. And on top, we also um, yeah, extended our focus materials that we have from 8 to 14 materials. And for example, now we use ASI certified aluminium, which also comes with, an, with a lower environmental impact. Hmm. And for you? Yeah, maybe something that I uh, would like to jump into on what uh, Thea was mentioning about longevity before of the product. Um, it's also something that I experience in my personal uh, environment with friends or family um, that I, I clearly see a disconnect between sort of the push of the bigger tech companies on constantly renewing their products uh, versus what are their actual needs. and. Of course, I'm aware that I also might be in a certain uh, bubble, uh, so very conscious of that. But as to give you an example, my girlfriend had an iPhone uh, 6 uh, until some weeks ago, and now suddenly she jumped to the newest iPhone. So, so sorry, guys, not not a fair phone. Um, but uh, I mean, that's a that's a gap of seven versions, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, I think there are still some people that. Continu continuously want to have the new technological developments and I also see the added value of constantly try to innovate but I think we are also at a point where we might need to find that balance again between where do we constantly need to innovate and where is sometimes also good is good enough especially considering the sort of the, the state of where we are in today with resources running out, uh, prices that are very volatile, supply chains that are being disrupted uh, by many different factors. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, that could also be something to, uh, as Fairphone, inspire other uh, tech giants, so to say. And is it really needed to constantly renew or could you maybe focus more on longevity of a product? Mm. So that's a personal observation. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels maybe also a little bit like a like a snake eating its own tail, where the, the like you know the the producers are pushing this stuff into the market, but of course also the consumers are buying it and they're spending their money in it, and clearly they, well, there's a market for it because otherwise it wouldn't happen, and you know yeah, somewhere um, there needs to be a disconnect somehow, and um, uh, yeah, I fully agree with you, uh, you Mart, and I think hmm. yeah maybe the easiest way or the most straightforward way is from the industry part but i think also consumers have well they have a part in this and well maybe some of our consumers uh, listening <laughs> maybe they can also feel inspired and uh, well think about it and i think also that uh, the lens of customer value can can bridge that gap maybe eh? that uh, they don't need the latest and the greatest maybe yeah. but maybe they, it doesn't even address a need but they experience it as a need or yeah. uh, the consumer has a right to get a new phone after two years even though they are paying for it themselves. Eh? That was uh, a couple of years ago, that was uh, some kind of lens that a consumer could have. And I think focusing on customer value, and I also hear some examples here with uh, Fairphone, for example, a five-year warranty, eh? it takes away the worry of the consumer that it becomes obsolete yeah. beforehand. So eh, maybe we take the, the, the smart uplift on price, eh? we take it for granted, but we are assured that we have a phone for five years. I think that's a, a very nice example of a good value proposition. Great. Thanks guys. I think we are uh, uh, close to uh, the end. What are, what are the takeaways that you want people that uh, are listening to, to remember? I would say for the industry, for me, what's important to, to mention again is that, you know, even though sustainability can be complex and, and can, be, uh, can be a big exercise, it doesn't have to be 
overly complex and yeah it's possible to make it also approachable understandable and well use it in a in a discussion uh, and for the consumers i would say you know if you have a fairphone repair it and and uh, yeah and if you have some devices at home that you don't need many people have like five of them in a drawer somewhere well maybe re-enter them into the loop yeah which by the way commercial stop like we just launched our recycling uh, program again so uh, i am telling everybody to go to fairphone.com slash recycling i think recycle <laughs> recycle yeah yeah and uh, to so you can do that in our <laughs> recycling program um, mart yeah for me it would be around collaboration that um, more companies i would say need to open up like uh, the two companies that we work with here kpn and fairphone did uh, so collaborate with each other uh, try to find the commonalities and also where there might be some friction because there often mm. is the beauty in uh, mm. in those discussions Um, and I think for the consumers, maybe also understanding and when you potentially want to read uh, the report and dig into the details, that you might also understand that sometimes making even small changes to current products um, is more complex than you might think. Um, so be aware as a consumer that all those companies where you buy products of, like Fairphone or like uh, via KPN, they are working on it, but it is not always as easy as it sounds or as it seems like. So be aware they are working on it. Yeah, I think uh, looking at the consumers, maybe to, to add what has been said about the recycling, I think uh, the longevity doesn't person, uh, necessarily mean that you personally have to do with the, the phone longer yourself, but it can also be like handing it over to I don't know, one of your children or your mother-in-law, for example. And I think uh, giving it a second life adds more value than bringing it to the recycler uh, straight away, if that's possible. So that would be my call to action, uh, since uh, we all have indeed uh, the drawer full of, uh, of phones. Um, and looking at the industry, I think my call would be to yeah, indeed uh, collaborate and work on the transparency, uh, since we all need, say, the insights across uh, the value chain to make the next step. Since if we don't have the insights, we don't know yeah, what levers to uh, to pull. So I think that would be my goal, and I still hope for the golden standard on uh, reporting on circularity, that we just have to push the button and then get all the information from our suppliers, so to say. But uh, yeah, still waiting for the day, and until that day, uh, we will try to uh, well, yeah, create a pool. Yeah, let's work yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree with what has been said so far. And I would really like to encourage the ones listening in from industry to take the step and have a closer look at your products and your supply chain to become aware where the hotspots are and then also to identify opportunities for positive impact on social and on environmental challenges. Um, yeah, just to be prepared that you will encounter dilemmas. There is not always a right or wrong, but the most important is to really take action now engage with suppliers, create transparency, learn along the way and increase your positive impact. The good thing is that there are many parties out here, as you can see, <laughs> who want to collaborate and discuss dilemmas. And I can assure you that it's a really exciting process to be part of. Thank you, this uh, wraps it up for today. I want to thank all our guests. Thank you, Thea, Edwin, Rolf, And Mart, thanks for sharing your expertise today. Thanks for sharing all your uh, journey to this, uh, to this circularity report. And to our audience, if you 
want to learn more, of course, go to our website and, and read our blog post and uh, also click on the link to get into the report to see how circular Fairphone 3 is. If you like this podcast, also remember we have other episodes. So, for example, you can go all the way back to episode number two, where we talk with Bas Fanavo, the founder of Fairphone, or to podcast uh, Fair Talks number four, where we talk with uh, the founder of iFixit, um, with all the ins and outs of uh, repairability of products. And if you like it, remember uh, we have uh, other episodes that you can also go back to. For example, on our episode one, we interviewed Matthias Hasken uh, from iFixit, where we learned us uh, about all the ins and outs of repairability of products, or Fair Talks number two, where we talked with uh, Bas Van Abel and we went through the whole history of Fairphone. Very interesting. So if you like this, uh, remember to subscribe. You can do that in any of uh, the platforms. We are in SoundCloud, we are in Spotify. And yeah, I see you next time. Stay tuned. Thank you. <laughs>